Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. Today I want to focus on discovering the source of the answer to life's problems. Does life ever have any problems? Oh yes, life has problems. We're in the midst of some of those problems right now, aren't we? I mean, there are physical problems out there with the coronavirus everywhere and all kinds of things that we're facing. So we know that generally that life has problems, but also specifically in our own hearts and lives, as we are walking and living life, we're going to face problems. We're going to face difficulties. So we need to find out where is the source of the answer to those problems. And it's found here in 2 Kings chapter 6 and chapter 7. This is the first part of a two-part message regarding this finding the answer to life's problems. We're going to begin in verse 24, but to do that, I want to first remind us what had happened before this time. If you were with us last week, you remember that the Syrian king was setting out plans to defeat the army of Israel and the Israelites. And every time he set out a plan, Elisha would tell the king of Israel about the plans of the Syrian king And it would cause the Israel army to escape that plan. And that happened time and time again to finally Ben-Hadad, who was king of Syria. He became so angry, he said, there's a spy among us. There's somebody who is far Israel. And every time we make a plan, they're going to tell them that plan. But one of his servants said, no, king, it's not that at all. But rather, there's a man of God named Elisha, who is in Israel, who knows all things, and he knows what you're thinking and what you're saying in your bedroom. And whenever you make plans, he knows that, and he goes and tells the king of Israel, so the king of Israel won't fall into your trap. And that king said, well, who, where is this man, and who is this man, and I'm going to get him, and I'm going to take him and keep him captive at least, if not kill him. And they said, well, he's in Dothan. So you remember he sent his army to Dothan to surround Elisha. And whenever he surrounds Elisha, that next morning, the servant of Elisha gets up. And when he goes out there, he sees that mighty army of chariots and horses and, and the army on, on ground, on their feet. And, and he becomes so fearful. He said, alas, my master, what shall, what shall we do? And, and Elisha gets up and And he tells him, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. For greater are those who are with us than those who are with them. And the servant's basically saying, well, I see those with them, but I don't see those with us. And the reason that the servant was full of fear is because he sees with his physical eyes. And the reason Elisha is is without fear is because he sees with his spiritual eyes. And then he prayed and he asked, Lord, open up the servant's eyes and he can see. And when he opened up the servant's eyes, the servant saw this chariots of fire and horses and chariots of fire and the army of God between them and the Syrian army. And therefore, the servant wasn't afraid anymore because he could see with his eyes of faith and see with those spiritual eyes that they were protected by the mighty hand of God. Then if you remember the rest of the story, whenever the Syrian army comes down to take Elisha, it doesn't even, have, it doesn't even require the army of God. All Elisha did was pray and ask God to blind them And they were blind and helpless. 
And when they came down, he said, well, the man you're looking for is not in this city, but I'll take you to that city. So he leads this blind army of the Syrians over to the capital city of Samaria. And whenever he takes them in there, they're encircled by the Samaria, I mean, by the Israel and their army and the king of Israel. And whenever their eyesight comes back, he prayed and the eyesight came back, they realize they're in a helpless situation. They could be killed immediately. Matter of fact, the king of Israel says, should I kill them? And Elisha says, no, don't kill them, feed them, and then send them home. A shameful experience that they were fed by their enemies and sent home. It's so shameful that it says that the marauding bands of the Syrians did not come back into their land. That was the experience that happened. Now we come to verse 24. It's been some period of time since that time, but King Ben-Hadad, who was king of Syria at that time and now at this time, he has a new plan and he wants to defeat Israel. Look what happens in verse 24 and following. Now it came about after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. And as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord, y'all underline this, if the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? Hear that word? If the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king said to her, what is the matter with you? And she answered, This woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. And it came about when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes Now he was passing by on the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. Then he said, underline this, may God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat remains on him today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man from his presence. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. While he was still talking with him, behold, the messenger came down to him and he said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Verse 1 of chapter 7. Then Elisha said, please underline these words, listen to the word of the Lord. Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a measure of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. And the royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, underline this, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? 
Then Elisha said, Behold, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. We'll stop there today and pick up from there next week. Please leave your Bibles open as we look at this matter of discovering the source of an answer in times of problems. They certainly are in a time of a problem, aren't they? I mean, let's talk about their problem for a minute. Whenever Ben-Hadad decides that he is going to defeat Israel, he comes to do battle against Jehoram, who's the king of Israel, and his army. And they begin, and they have a battle together, and Jehoram quickly realizes that he is not going to be able to stand and defeat the Syrians. So Jehoram goes back into the capital city of Samaria. It is a great place to be. It has a strong and vibrant wall around it. So he knows that he can get inside of that wall and be protected from the Syrians. They would have to break through the wall, which would be a a, a task in itself to be able to defeat them. When Ben-Hadad sees him go back into the city and wall himself in, he decides that he's not going to try to go through the wall, but rather he is going to lay siege around the city of Samaria. And that simply meant he took his army and he placed it all around that great city. And that prevented anyone from coming out and anyone or anything getting in to the city. No supplies, no food, no anything. And all the agriculture of the city was done outside of the walls. And so because the people couldn't go outside and work in the agriculture, there was no food produced by the city. All they had was the food that was left inside of those walls And that ran out very quickly. And they are in a problem. The first thing they have are physical problems. The physical problem is there is no food. Did you hear what it said? That the people were so hungry and they had nothing to eat that a donkey's head was sold. That means a donkey's head was sold sold to be eaten by somebody. You got that? A donkey's head was sold as the meal of the day. But that donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels. 80 shekels. Do you know how much you know how much that is? In today's value, silver value, it's equal to $496. $496 they were paying for a donkey's head to eat a donkey's head. Now, I don't know what you're planning to eat for lunch, but it's, mine's not a donkey's head. <laughs> Any of you got donkey's head for lunch? I'm not going with you. I just wanted to know if you have that. For almost $500, they're, they're buying a donkey's head. Now, hold on a second. Think about that. A donkey was an unclean animal. It was like a horse. It didn't have a split hoof, a solid hoof. It was forbidden animal. A Jew shouldn't be eating a, a horse or a donkey anyway. So here's a forbidden animal they're eating. And the less, least part of any animal that you want to eat is their head. It's the least valuable. There's not anything in it except their brains. And, and so here's a donkey's head that's unclean, that gives nothing much of value, nothing much of nourishment, nothing much to consume, and they're paying $500 for a donkey's head. And then it says that they pay a quarter of a cab for a, a quarter of a cab, they paid five shekels for a quarter of a cab of dove dung. You know what that is, right? 
Dove dung. Now, some commentators say seed pods, but it's not talking about seed pods. It's talking about the feces of a bird, of a dove. Now, I'm not planning on eating that for lunch either, all right? And you know what that was equal to? That was about $32 that they paid for a pint of dove dung. That is what the people are consuming for their nutrition. That's all there is to eat. Do you understand why that is a physical problem? Do you understand why they are in desperation? Do you understand the need that they have of that time? Strictly a physical need. But it wasn't just a physical need. There were also spiritual needs in that city. The spiritual needs are realized whenever it comes about that two women approach the king. And they approach the king and they ask him for help. And we'll talk about his response in a minute. But whenever he finally says, what is it that you're asking? What do you want me to do? One woman begins to explain the situation. She said that these two women had made an agreement that they would take their child. That's called cannibalism. They would take their child and that they would consume one of their children today. And then tomorrow they would boil the other. They would consume that child that day. But the reason the woman is complaining is not because they're trying to take her child and cannibalize it. The reason she's complaining is she gave up her child yesterday in order for him to be consumed. And now the woman who had made the agreement is hiding her child. In other words, it's not just a physical need that they're in regard to nothing to eat. There is a spiritual problem in the fact that they're consuming their own children. Do you think that's a spiritual problem? I do. (laughs) And and the concern of their heart is the fact that they're concerned about whether or not somebody's hidden a child rather than giving that child up to be consumed as food. That is a spiritual problem. See, in life we encounter physical problems and we encounter spiritual problems And the only answer to those problems is found here in the word of God is it'll reveal where that answer is found. We encounter those physical and spiritual problems. Matter of fact, we're encountering those things right now, aren't we? We certainly are. We have the physical problem of the COVID-19 virus that's everywhere. It's troubling everybody that people have died from, that people are fearful of. We certainly have that physical aspect, but then... As I'm reading the Word of God, as I'm looking at the Word of God this week and and thinking about this physical needs as well as spiritual needs, then we have the experience that happens in Minneapolis that was a horrible experience that happened. But now, all across our country, there's rioting, and everybody's rioting over that issue that most of them have nothing to do with at all. It just reveals a spiritual problem in our nation. (laughs) I mean, I I can't even consider that. I'm sorry. I can't consider why somebody in Atlanta, Georgia wants to riot because something happened in Minneapolis. They didn't know that person. Now, was it horrible what happened? Absolutely. Something need to be done about it? Certainly. But that would be like one of my children disobeying and I go spank the other one. What's that got to do with it? You know what it reveals? It reveals a spiritual problem. We got spiritual problems. Where we ride and we destroy and we loot and we take things for, for whatever reason that might be. We have physical problems and we have spiritual problems. 
much like this city had physical problems and spiritual problems. So where's the answer? Where's the answer to those problems? Well, first thing I want to show you is the king's response. The king's response, the leader's response. What does he tell them? I had you to underline it. Look at there in verse number 27. Whenever he's faced with his dilemma of these physical and spiritual problems, here's what he says in verse 27. If the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? Now that is a good response for that old wicked king. Jehoram was not a righteous king, but he had a good response in that situation. You know what he says? It's the Lord who's going to have to help us. I can't help you. I can't help you. But the Lord is the one who is going to have to help you. And that's the truth. The answer for this problem was not going to be found in the king's castle. The answer to this problem was not going to be found in somebody trying to figure out the problem inside the city. The, the answer to this had to be with the Lord. He would be the answer. And the king acknowledges, I can't help you. The Lord is our only help. You know, I, I just, I want to ask you a question. Do you hear very much of that right now? Do you really hear very much of that? People talking about the Lord's going to help us with the things we're facing right now. I hear everybody talking about that this group's going to help us or that group's going to help us or the science is going to help us or the vaccine's going to help us or that's going to, everybody is looking to everywhere, anybody and everywhere, but you don't hear very many people who say, man, if the Lord doesn't show up, we're in trouble, but that's the reality. The Lord is the one who answers our problems. The Lord is the one who meets the need. The Lord is the one who can speak away and can solve all problems. Amen. But we don't see very much of that happening. We need to go back to the point and this good answer, what the king said, he says, I can't help you, but the Lord, he's the one who can help you. So he had the right response to begin with, pointing to the Lord. He even has a right disposition. What was his disposition? Well, whenever the woman revealed to him about the cannibalism that was happening inside the city, notice what his response was in verse 30. It says, and it came about when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. He rent his garment. That is a picture of grief. It's a picture of being brokenhearted. It's a picture of hopelessness and helplessness and humility of heart. And so he tears his garment in grief. But not only that, look what happens in verse 30. It says, and now as he was passing by the wall, the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. You remember what sackcloth was for, don't you? That was the way somebody grieved. When they were, they would grieve, they would put sackcloth and they would get in the ashes and throw up the ashes. And the sackcloth was a burly, rough texture. And it was on your skin literally to cause pain to your physical body that expressed the pain of your spiritual heart. And it was a plea unto God that God would do something in a state of humility and humiliation of his own spirit to say, God, do something. And so his disposition was right. He's humble of heart. He's wearing sackcloth. Now, the only thing that he should have done that he didn't do is he's doing it privately. He should have been doing it publicly. <laughs> he's even like the king of Nineveh who called for everybody to wear sackcloth, who called everybody to, to grieve that God might change his mind. 
He should have done it publicly that everybody sees it, but he's doing it privately. But at least privately, his disposition is this. Dear God, we need your help. Dear God, we need your help. And that's the right response and the right disposition. The problem is he goes a step further, which is wrong. Be careful. Don't get to verse 31. I'm going to show you some words. Look at verse 31. Then he said, you need to circle those three words. Then he said, he didn't need to say any more than what he had said. He said enough. He said, I can't help you. The Lord's got to help you. And he tears his garment. He wears the sackcloth in humility of heart. He does everything right. And then he goes a step further. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever done the right thing up to a point only that you went too far? You should have just stopped where you should have stopped instead of going a step further. Well, he goes a step further. That's the wrong response. It's the wrong response. So, so be careful. I have you circle that. Then he said, you don't want to be the one that then he said or she said, right? What did he say? Look, listen, verse 31. May God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. He shouldn't have said that. That's, that's the wrong response. You know what he's saying? He said he is going to have Elisha, the man of God, killed before the day is over. If he doesn't have Elisha killed before the day is over, he says, may I suffer the same fate if I don't have him killed. The man of God. That's not the right answer. That's not what he should have done. That's not where the answer will be found. Why would he say that? Why would he do that? Well, there's some, there's some reasons why he might be angry with Elisha. Let's talk about a few of those. One of those could be the fact that he, he thinks that the reason that Ben-Hadad has come and done battle with him again is because Elisha humiliated the army of Ben-Hadad previously. Whenever he embarrassed them and sent them home, now Ben-Hadad's decided he's going to come and he's going to have revenge over what he did. And, and, and the king's thinking, well, he shouldn't have done that to him. He shouldn't have done that to them. That now that's the reason they're coming to lay harm to us in Israel. Or, or it could have been the fact that he thought, well, why didn't he let me kill? Why didn't he let me kill that army when I had them? Because he didn't have them, didn't he? You remember he had them all encapsulated inside Samaria. All he had to do was kill them. But what did Elisha say when he asked him, do you want me to kill them? He says, no, do not kill them. Feed them and what? And let them go home. And he said, if we'd have killed all of them there, we wouldn't be having them circle our city right now. And Elisha is the one who told us to let them go. Or it could be the fact that Elisha is inside of the same city that Jehoram is and everybody in Israel is. And don't you know that in the midst of this being besieged that he had asked Elisha, Elisha, pray, pray and ask God to deliver us. Ask, ask God to give us a victory. Help us. Ask God to do something for us. And God has done nothing. Elisha, if he's prayed, it hasn't been an effective prayer because God has done nothing. There's no answer. They have the physical needs and spiritual needs that they still have. And so for that reason, there might be this thought or this idea that he is, he wants to make Elisha suffer. He wants to kill him. Or it could be the fact 
And this is true many times that being mad at the man of God is not really that he's mad at the man of God. Who's he mad at? He's mad at God. He's mad at God. He's mad because God hadn't done what God should do or God hadn't taken care of them. They hadn't won the victory. He's mad at God and therefore who does he want to take it out on? He takes it out on the one who's closest to God. And that's that man of God. And it could be he's just angry with God, so he's taking it out on Elisha. Why would you say that? Because of what it says in verse 33. Whenever the messenger comes and speaks about what uh, the king says, the king says, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? This evil is from who? This evil we're facing is from the Lord. See, he's angry at the Lord. He's blaming the Lord for the evil things that happen. Let me tell you something. Our God is good and he never does evil. Amen? He doesn't do evil. But he always gets blamed for it. You ever notice how so many people blame God when something bad happens in their life? Why does does God always get blamed and the devil always gets off? He gets off scot-free. Nobody ever curses him. Nobody ever blames him. Nobody does that. But God, who's the giver of every good and perfect gift, he gets blamed. And here is the king saying this evil is from the hand of the Lord. And why should I wait any longer for him? And being angry with God causes him to be angry with the man of God. And he says he's going to kill the man of God before the end of the day. Wrong response. He started out right. Good disposition about it. But he goes too far, angry with God, angry with the man of God, going to kill the man of God. But wait a minute. Look just a moment at the response of the man of God. What happens? There in verse 32. Elisha was sitting in his house with the elders sitting with him. All this other's happening somewhere. And the king sent a mess and a man from his presence. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of the murderer is sent to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door, hold the door shut against him. It's not the sound of his master's feet behind me. Great thing about Elisha, he always knows what happened before it happens. Amen? He he doesn't find out that that they're going to try to kill him. He knows that. He said, this son of a murderer, talking about Jehoram, he has set forth his plan and sent a messenger to come and execute me. And he says, so what I want you to do whenever this messenger comes to execute me, I want you to shut the door. I want you to hold the door. All of you got to hold the door where they can't get in. And during that time when you're holding the door, he's going to speak through the door to me and I'm going to speak to him. So nothing surprises the man of God, just like nothing surprises God. Did y'all hear that? Nothing surprises God. We're always surprised about things, aren't we? Because we don't know what's going to happen. Nothing surprises God. God is never in a panic. God never has a plan B. He doesn't have to go to plan B. He's always got his plan. He's always working his plan. You understand that? He knows it's going to happen before it ever happens. So he tells the man of God, yep, they're sending somebody to kill you. Hold the door. And tell the message. Well, what is the response of the man of God once he knows that the messenger is coming? Here's the response of the man of God to the city's problems. Listen to the response. This is the most important thing you'll hear 
chapter 7, verse 1. I had you underline it. Then Elisha said, here it is, listen to the word of the Lord. You need to write that in your notes. What? Listen to the word of the Lord. Do you know where you discover the answers to every problem, every problem of life? Listen to the word of the Lord. You find it in God's word. Find it in the promises of God. When you face a problem, let it be first, not last, that you're looking for it in the word of God. The word of God, the promises of God will provide for you the answer to the problems when it's not going to be in the White House, it's not going to be in Congress, it's not going to be in the science lab, it's not going to be anywhere else except with God. And he says, listen to the word of the Lord. And what a powerful word he gives. Listen to this promise. This is amazing. Listen to this promise that he gives in verse in chapter 7 verse 1. Listen. Here it is. Thus says the Lord. Listen. Tomorrow about this time a measure of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel. And two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. That's the promise of God. Elijah speaks forth the word of God. And what about that word that he speaks? What about this promise? There are three distinct things about that promise. Let me tell you the first one. The first one is, look at it. There is a definite time that God is going to answer he said, what? Tomorrow. Look at it. Did he say just tomorrow? No, he didn't say just tomorrow. He said, what? About this time tomorrow. So if it's three o'clock in the afternoon, about this time tomorrow means around three o'clock in the afternoon tomorrow, God is going to answer. God is going to show you. It's about this time tomorrow. I love that because it's not, well, God's going to do it one day and God will help us one day and it might happen one day. He didn't say that. He said, God's doing it tomorrow about this time. Amen. He then tells him a definite event. What's the event? He says, a, a measure of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel. Wait a minute. Back up a second. What was the what was the situation in the city today? A donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels, and and dove dung sold for five shekels. That's today. But tomorrow, a measure of fine flour is going to be for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel. In 24 hours. In 24 hours, life is totally, radically changed. A definite time, a definite event. Wait a second. Something else. Don't miss it. Look at the last few words of that verse. A definite place in the gate of Samaria. In the gates of Samaria. It's not going to be sold 
down the road. It's not going to be sold in another nation. It's going to be sold right here where there's desperation and problems and needs. It's going to be sold right here tomorrow about this time. Listen to the word of the Lord. Listen to the word of the Lord. (laughs) Well, the great thing, the rest of the story is we get to hear that next week of how God does this and what a marvelous plan God has to fulfill exactly what God says he's going to do. But before we leave, I want you to see the response of that messenger, that royal officer. It's in verse 2. It says, And the royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, This is the messenger who's outside the door. Listen to what he says. Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? This is what he's basically saying. That is impossible. (laughs) That's impossible. Even if God opened the windows of heaven and poured out blessings from heaven, there's no way... That fine flour and barley will be made available at that price in Samaria tomorrow. That is impossible. In other words, he refuses to believe the word of the Lord. He refuses to accept the promise of God. He refuses. Just like, hold on a second. Just like most of the world refuses to hear the promises of God. They refuse to believe the promises of God. Most of the world never accept the word of the Lord. Well, before we go, listen to what he says. He tells you a principle, a principle that's found in God's word. This is the principle. What is the punishment? What is the penalty for not believing God's promise? What is the penalty for not believing the word of the Lord? It's found there in verse 2, very last phrase. Listen. Elisha said to that royal officer, Behold, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. That's the penalty of disbelief. You will see it with your eyes. You will know that it is true. You will understand that what God's word said, God fulfilled. But you'll never be able to taste it. You'll never be able to enjoy it. Because you did not believe. Oh, when we read this story, the remainder of this story, we'll find out exactly what happens to the royal officer and exactly what Elisha said, that he would see it with his eyes, but he never gets to taste it. But that truth is in everything about the word of the Lord. But see, there are many people who do not believe the promise of God when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. They refuse to believe that word of the Lord. Therefore, one day, one day, 
their knee will bow and their tongue will confess that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. They will know that that is true, but they will not get to enjoy the relationship and that place called heaven because they did not believe. Just like the rich man and Lazarus, whenever a rich man and Lazarus, the rich man goes and he is in torment and Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, but the rich man looks over that chasm that he cannot cross and he sees him being comforted in the bosom of Abraham. He cannot cross. He sees it with his eyes, but he cannot partake of it. That's the penalty of disbelief of refusing to believe the word of the Lord. Well, what is the word for us? Well, nationally, worldwide, we're facing all kinds of problems, whether it be physical problems and viruses or spiritual problems and riots or whatever it might be. But I'm here to tell you, we need to get a word from God. The word of the Lord is what we need to hear and we need to beckon him and call upon him and humble our lives before him and to realize he is our only help and our only hope. We're going to have to quit looking to the answer to people. Whatever the answers are out there, if it's anything apart from God, we're looking at the wrong thing or the wrong person. It needs to be God. We need to be seeking him to get a word from God and to be able to Believe that word and follow that word and trust that word nationally. But all of us face our own problems, don't we? Life is full of problems. What do you do when you face a problem? You go to the Lord. You go to the Lord to get a word from the Lord. And he has a word for you. He has a word for you that that may mean that he moves heaven and earth to accomplish whatever he needs to accomplish to meet that need and solve your problem in life. But he waits for you to come, not later, but now, to get a word from him. And when he gives you that word, just believe it. Just believe it and accept it. And you'll get to partake of it because you believe the word of the Lord. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.